Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and his presentation recorded at the Catholic Men's Fellowship of Northeast Ohio Annual Conference in March 2014. And now, here is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Now, I talked before about the heart. How important is this? How important is this understanding of God looking at us in our heart? If you open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, I love this. This is when David is chosen. Now, you all know the background. The Lord says Saul's no good as king anymore. He, he sends uh, Samuel to anoint the new king. So he sends him to the house of Jesse, which makes sense, right? Isaiah says a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. The king, uh, the, the son of God must come through the line of David. And who's David's father? Jesse. So he goes to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons as the new king. And I love this. They, his sons come in, and they're standing all in front of Samuel. Samuel goes to the first son, Eliab, and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why? The dude was probably six feet, handsome, strapping young man. He looked very kingly, and oh, he's ready to take the horn of oil and pour it on him. The Lord says, Nope, not him. And what does the Lord say? Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, which I'm really good because I'm pretty short myself, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's verse 7. Verse 7, First uh, Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord looks at the heart. We spend too much time worrying about what we look like on the outside. We worry about our, what people think about us. Ooh, if I say this, ooh, if I defend the, the, the church's teaching on abortion and contraception, ooh, if I do this, then they're going to think this about me. They're going to think this about me. And oh, I, I, I'm, it's more important for me to be popular. It's more important for me to be accepted. It's more important for me not to rock the boat. It's more, yeah, you keep thinking like that. And you wonder why you get no blessings in your life. You wonder why you can't take your faith to that next level. You wonder why your marriage is cracked. You wonder why you're stuck. What we're going to be talking about today in answering the call is getting unstuck by working on the heart. And what happened to Samuel is finally all the sons, he goes, he got, I don't understand, the Lord sent me, he got any more sons? Then David comes in. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. When we say yes to God in our hearts, men of God, the Holy Spirit will rush upon us and we will be ready for what the Lord has waiting for us. Now, when we look at Christ on the cross, what do we see? Do we see ourselves as husbands and fathers? Take a look at Jesus up there. The cross is a mirror into the souls of men. But we are so immersed in those things that prevent us from making our families our church, and this culture, our highest and most important priority, that we have stopped looking at the cross because it's either too painful or we feel nothing at all. We become the living dead. We are afraid and ashamed to make ourselves vulnerable, afraid to give ourselves totally and completely to Jesus without excuse. When we do this, we allow fear to empty us of love. 
leaving a deep void that has to be filled. And the culture tells us we have to fill it with power, with pleasure, with prestige. And we fool ourselves to believing it's easier to live a lie than to seek the truth. We don't like to hear or talk about sin because it's so personal. Sin makes us uncomfortable. Sin embarrasses us. Sin opens deep wounds that are painful. If talking about sin bothers you, brothers, then I ask you to take a look at the cross. Jesus took all of our sins upon himself. He was uncomfortable. He was embarrassed. His body endured deep wounds that were painful. Jesus took our sins personally. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's nothing we can ever do. There's no sin too great, no hurt too deep that cannot be forgiven by the rich mercy and healing power of God's life-giving love. Just as at Meribah and Massa in the desert, where God made water flow from the hardest, driest rock, if we make a complete gift of ourselves to our Heavenly Father, His mercy and love will flow freely even from the hardest and driest of hearts. Being free to love means we cannot hide behind alcohol, drugs, pornography, anger, hatred, physical, emotional abuse, or any sin that we think God cannot forgive. His love and his mercy are too great. When we trust in him, what do we do? Look what, look what David does. If you open up your Bibles again to 1 Kings chapter 2. Right at the beginning, it says, when David's time to die drew near. So David now is on his deathbed. Imagine for if, if yourself, if you will. You are on your deathbed, and your son is standing before you. What would your last words be to him? David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, faced the same situation. His son Solomon is standing before him. David is dying. What does he tell him? 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. So he tells his son that he must be a man. But he just doesn't tell him he must be a man. He tells him how he must be a man. He tells him, keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. And then he says, if your sons take heed of their way and walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail you a man on the throne of Israel. So he tells his son, that you must follow the ways of the Lord, not the ways of the culture. You must think with the mind of the Lord, not with the mind of the culture. You must love with the heart of the Lord and not with the love of the culture. And if we teach our sons, if we pass this on to the other men that are important in my life, you will hear in my second talk about the story of my father, who loved three things in his life, women, alcohol, and cigarettes. He certainly did not love us. When we pass on the things of God to our sons or to those young men in our life, what does it say? The word of God tells us, you will not fail. You will not fail. The problem is, brothers, and I'm sure you'll agree, we have too many men who are failing today. Failing their families, failing the church, and failing the culture. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. 
One great way of listening to the, the Lord's voice and becoming the man that God wants you to be in personal relationship, my brothers, I can't stress this enough, is adoration. Let me tell you something. In my contract, it says, if I'm away during my adoration day at my parish, you, so whoever's hosting me, you will take me someplace to adoration. And what's our excuse for not going to adoration? Oh, deacon, I don't have time. Really? I guarantee you this, brothers. You make time for those things in your life that are important to you. If the NCAA basketball game is on, ooh, you're going to watch that, aren't you? Football game is on, you're going to watch that, aren't you? But adoration, oh, what am I supposed to do for an hour, huh? Make all kinds of excuses. Let me tell you, people ask me all the time, how do you get, how do you do what you do? How are you able to do that? Adoration. Adoration is a place where you shut everything else out of your life. And you listen to God's voice. Because in order to hear the, God speaking to you in your heart, you have to be quiet. That's why Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. All four times that the angel came to David, what was he doing? Remember what David was doing each and every time the angel came to, not David, uh, Joseph. Every single time the angel came to Joseph in the New Testament, what was Joseph doing? Sleeping. When the Lord called Samuel, when Samuel was in the temple with the priest Eli, what was Samuel doing? Sleeping. There's something about stillness, silence, and quiet where the Lord speaks to us. And I, and I tell you, the Lord will speak deeply and seriously to you if you allow him. One more story and I'll conclude. A few years ago, a woman came back to my parish seeking the RCIA program. She was away from the church for 30 years. And she brought her atheist fiancé with her. Now, I live in Oregon, man. There are a lot of atheists and agnostics out there. In fact, Oregon and Washington are two most unchurched states in the country. So when he shows up, his name is Dan. When he shows up for RCIA in September, he just he comes to class, and every week he just looks at me. He doesn't say anything. He just staring me down. So December comes, class, we break for Christmas. We come back in January. He comes up to me, Deacon, I want to talk to you. Yeah, well, you want to talk? No, okay. He says, I want to be Catholic. Dude, what do you mean you want to be Catholic? You sat here for three months staring at me, and all of a sudden you say you want to be Catholic? You can't make this up. Here's what he said. It's like Tony the Tiger's nose. Dude, I know we're in Oregon. I know you guys eat mushrooms and smoke. I don't know what else you smoke out here, but look. Because I'm from Jersey, okay? Look. Um, you can't be bringing that stuff up in the church. He said, no, what color is Tony the Tiger's nose? I said, black. He's a tiger. They have black noses. He said, nope, it's blue. Dan, you know how many boxes of Frosted Flakes I done ate as a kid? Sitting in front of that cereal, watching the boxes I'm eating the cereal. The nose is black. He said, nope, it's blue. I said, dude, whatever, man. I say your class is on a Monday. Wednesday, my wife calls me and says, go to the store. You pick some milk. Oh, I'm going to the store. First place I go, cereal aisle. <laughs> and I look at that box and sure enough, that nose is blue. So I see Dan in church on Sunday. He's coming to church now. Obviously, he's not receiving anything, but he comes to church. I said, Dan, I owe you an apology. I could have swore that nose was black, but you're right, it's blue. And he said this to me. That was like my experience with God. 
He was in front of me the whole time, and I didn't see him. He said, your class helped me to see Jesus. I said, hold on. First of all, Deacon Howell ain't got nothing to do with this, okay? Deacon Howell is just an instrument. God is the author. God is the master. I'm just, huh? I said, but here's the thing, Dan. Here's what you did. You listened to God's voice. You had courage to fight the culture. You had courage to admit that God was working in your life. You're the one that allowed the Holy Spirit to enter you and plant the seed of faith and allowed that faith to grow in your heart. I didn't do that. Only God could do that. And this man grew in his faith. When he came into the church, I said, you have to wear a white garment. You know, we'll we'll provide a little stove for you or something. The dude came dressed in a white suit. White jacket, white shirt, white tie, white pants, white shoes. He said, Deacon, I'm ready. (laughs) He was baptized, confirmed, received the Eucharist. A couple months later, he was married. Both his children, even the stubborn 16-year-old, a year later, came into the church. Dan, today, everyday mass goer, everyday rosary prayer, the guy wrote a book on the Blessed Virgin Mary, and while I'm traveling, guess who's covering my RCIA classes? Look, look, let me tell you, men, genuine knowledge. See, why, why is that? And you, this guy and his family are incredible in our parish. Now, why? Encountering authentic truth and goodness and beauty through intimate and personal relationship is rooted in loving and life-giving communion. That's what Dan understood about personal relationship. That's what we must understand as well. That with Christ crucified, living our spirituality as men from the cross of Jesus, that must be our greatest desire as well. After a short break, Deacon Harold continued his presentation in the afternoon session. Let's say your favorite football team only had one play in their playbook. One play, that's it. Like the Browns, okay? (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How how, how many games would they win? None, right? I mean, if a, game, a team only had one play in the playbook, they wouldn't win any games. Why? Because every time they touch the ball, the other team knows what they're going to do every time. There's no way they can win. My brothers in Christ, Satan only has one play in his playbook. And we keep losing. Century after century, millennium after millennium, we keep getting our butts kicked. By one play. I'm going to show you what that play is right now. <laughs> one play, two parts. Now, if you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Now, we talked before about Genesis 2. Everything is going along just fine. And then who shows up on the scene? The snake. Now, notice all the things that God created. The, the plants, the animals, the stars, the ocean the spotted owl, the walrus, all these things. What does Satan go after first? The family. That was his number one target then, and that's his number one target now. You, your wife, your church, your children, your grandchildren, your family. Let's get something straight, men of God. Satan is trying to destroy you. Satan is trying to kill God's covenant life within you. He'll say whatever he's got to say and do whatever he's got to do to make sure you are not anywhere near Jesus Christ. 
You think for one second that Satan wants you here right now? You think he wants you here today? He doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you at mass. He doesn't want you at confession. He doesn't want you in adoration. He wants you in hell with him. That's what he wants. And here's how he does it. Notice out of the man and the woman, who does Satan go after first? The woman. Why her? Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm glad the ladies in the band aren't here because I let one of them slap you upside the head for saying that. And here's why. I'm going to talk, at the end of this talk, I'm going to talk about my father's story. And because of things that he did, I am the man that I am today because of a very strong mother. So, no, it's not because she was soft. Very, it's, it's simply this. Pope John Paul II wrote an amazing document uh, called Mulieris Dignitatum on the Dignity of Vocation of Women. Now, I thought I knew women. <laughs> I, and somebody said, ah, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not living the, the faith that I should. I said, let me see what this John Paul II has to say. So that's the first thing I ever read by him. Rocked my world. Never read anything so beautiful about women in my life. In there he says this. In God's eternal plan, it is woman in whom the order of love in the created world of persons first takes root. What does that mean? From God's mind from all eternity, when he planned to take love. Now we know that what? God is love. 1 John 4, 16. God is love. So love is what? God's very essence, his very being, his very nature. In Greek, his usia, his stuff. He takes that love and he implants that love into man, male and female. He created them. So out of Adam, ish and isha, male and female, equal in dignity right from the beginning. The Holy Father is saying that love first took root, first established a home, first formed a foundation within the heart of the woman first. A woman is the very heart of God's love. Don't we still say things to this day? The woman is the heart of the home. She's the heart of the family. Remember when your kids were small and you might be home with them, your mom, mom's out taking a break, and the kids are running around the house, and maybe your grandkids, and, and one of them falls down, and they're crying, and you, I'm, I'm the man. You run over to go pick up that child. <laughs> the child's looking. <laughs> Who's the child asking for? Mommy! They don't want to see you. You're standing right there. Why are they calling for their mother? Simply this. Women have a special relationship with the Holy Spirit that we men will never fully understand or appreciate ever. Because by the very nature of, of how God created a woman, she is a life giver and a life bearer. Even if she never has a child, she's a sister or a nun. By the very nature of how God created her, she is a spiritual mother. Doesn't matter whether she's eight or 80. She has an intimacy and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And Satan knew that. So Satan says to himself, if I can destroy that, everything else will fall. And guess what? <laughs> he was right. Here's how he does it. Notice his first words to her is a question. Did God say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Girl, is that what he told you? <laughs> or if you have an NAB, what does it say? Did God 
really say? Huh? What is the point of him asking that question? Yes, exactly. He wants to plant the seeds of confusion and doubt in her mind, not only about what God said, but who God is in her life. See, up until this point, their consciences, huh? The conscience is the practical application of the fundamental principle of natural law. Do good and avoid evil. Their conscience is directed toward God, toward in Latin, the sonum bonum, the greatest good, the ultimate end, the beatific vision. Life with God forever, the compass is pointing north. By asking that question, Satan plants the seeds of confusion and doubt about who God is and what God said, and that compass starts to swing away from God, starts to turn away from its ultimate end, starts to turn away from intimate, personal, loving, and life-giving communion, and ultimately that compass is going to point toward who? Yourself. How do we know that first part worked? Look at her answer. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. How is that answer different than what God really said when we said Genesis 2 this morning? How is her answer different? Touching the tree. God ain't saying nothing about touching the tree. He said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. She adds something that God didn't say. She's already confused. But she got the last part right, lest you die. You got to understand how powerful this is. Lest you die. The word is mavet. In Hebrew, it just doesn't mean physical death. It, lit- it means to cut yourself off from God's life. To cut yourself off from God's life. So, oh, notice how Satan jumps all over that last part in verse 4, verse 3. No, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you, you shall not die. Is that what God said? No. God knows we eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You don't need God because you're your own God. What does that sound like today? Who says some white guy from Argentina with a beanie on his head can tell me what to do with my body? Who says I have to go to church every Sunday? I can worship God any way that I want. I'm free to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. (laughs) That's what the voice of Satan sounds like today. So now, lest you think, you leave here thinking, oh, Deacon said women cause sin to come into the world. (laughs) Where was her husband? Now, here's what the Word of God says. Verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, sin is going to look good. Uh, Sin is going to taste good. She saw it was a light to the eyes, sin is going to look good. She saw it was desired to make one wise. I'm going to be like God. She took of his fruit and ate. All same verse now. She took of his fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, and he ate. Period. Anybody got an NAB? What does it say there? Gave some to her husband. Who was with her? Wait a minute. I thought his job was to serve, protect, and defend everything that God entrusted to him, including his wife. But when Satan came in to destroy his wife, he stood there and did nothing while Satan destroyed his family. And we got too many men who are standing by saying and doing nothing while Satan destroys women, the heart of love in this culture. Every time you contracept, every time you get your nuts cut off, every time you look at porn, 
You take the knife of sin and we stab our women in the heart over and over and over again while Satan sits back and laughs in our face. And we let him do it. We let him do it. And we call ourselves men? He's laughing at us. He's mocking us. And we let him do it. Why? Because we're afraid. Like, the, where's the guy who just spoke? You, it takes courage to come up here and do what he just did. You know what he did? Remember what I talked about in the first talk? The gift of vulnerability. It's in the weakness that Christ makes you strong. That's what you just saw up here. A guy came to me just now, one year without porn. Every day's a battle, but that man is winning because he decided to put Jesus Christ first in his life. No more excuses! I'm done with him! Stop making excuses. Why you can't pray the rosary? Why you can't go to adoration? Stop it. At least admit to yourself, that's just not important to me, deacon. At least you're being honest. You're, you're a whore of Satan, but at least you're being honest. Is that what you want? You want Satan to continue to rule your life? You want to continue to be his whore? Your choice. If you're serious, and I'm assuming you're all serious because you spent all Saturday here, then it's time to get busy, gentlemen. I'm done with him. I'm done with it. You know, that's why I go to adoration, guys. The, uh, uh, the rosary. Uh, let me show you. Oh, Lord have mercy. Let me show you my rosary. You think I'm playing? You think I'm playing? Look at this rosary. See those? Yes, those are bullets. 40 caliber and 9 millimeter shells are the Our Father beads. You know why? Every time you play the rosary, you bust the cap and say, you know what? <laughs> the beads... The beads on this rosary are made from the bones of an ox, an ox, ox bone. Psalm 92, you have given me the wild ox's strength. You anointed me with the purest oil. My eyes looked in triumph of my foes. My ears heard gladly of their fall. It's a battle cry. The cord of this rosary, industrial strength, commercial grade fishing line, fishers of men. The knots of this rosary, seven knots for the seven sacraments. Ten knots for the Ten Commandments, three knots all throughout the rest of the rosary for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You start praying with this weapon right here, Satan will run from you. He will run from you. He'll find the next sucker and go after him. You want him to run from you? You start praying this way. And I'll tell you, it's a whole different feeling praying to reflect on the mysteries of our faith with a bullet in your hand. Guarantee you, brothers. Due to time constraints, today's talk will be continued next week at the same time. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For an audio archive of this program, go to livingbreadradio.com and click on the programming menu. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.